all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, developmental and behavioral pediatrician and professor emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Much has been said this month about autism spectrum disorder, but today we'll talk about the area of high-functioning autism and some of the behavioral and mental health issues that many struggle with. Obsessive-compulsive disorders, anxiety, sensory integration, dysfunction, or just a few, those quirky behaviors can get bright, talented people into trouble, even with the law at times. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. Share your comments and experiences with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The Facebook murder suspect is dead. That moments ago from a tweet by Pennsylvania State Police capping a nationwide manhunt for Steve Stevens since Easter Sunday. That's when police in Ohio say Stevens randomly targeted an elderly man in Cleveland and uploaded a video of a gruesome attack, a gruesome murder on Facebook. Police in Pennsylvania say Stevens was spotted this morning in Erie County. After a brief pursuit, they say he shot and killed himself. The state of Arkansas is still planning on carrying out two executions on Thursday, despite a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court to grant a death row inmate yet another reprieve just hours before he was due to be executed. Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge says the state has scheduled five executions and there are no legal challenges to them as yet, but she says she expects lawyers for those inmates file new court challenges. President Trump is all about buying American and hiring American, and he will attempt to drive that message home with voters in Wisconsin today. NPR Scott Horsley says the president will make an appearance this afternoon at a tool company where he is expected to sign another executive order. The order is designed to strengthen existing government rules favoring domestic products and workers. It'll encourage the federal government to rely more heavily on American goods when spending taxpayer dollars. It's also designed to crack down on what the White House calls abuses in various guest worker programs. One key target is H-1B visas that tech companies often use to hire foreign workers. While the visa program was intended to help companies fill jobs requiring specialized training, critics say H-1Bs are often used to undercut the domestic workforce. Trump's order calls on government agencies to more closely police guest worker programs. Some of the changes the White House wants, though, will require cooperation from Congress. Scott Horsley, NPR News, the White House. We now turn to Japan, where Vice President Mike Pence says diplomatic and economic pressure may still be able to force North Korea to give up its nuclear weapons. NPR's Anthony Kuhn reports from Tokyo that Pence also launched a new series of trade talks with Japan. Pence called the North Korean regime the most ominous threat now facing Asia. And he says the U.S. will not rest until the Korean peninsula is free of nuclear weapons. Let me be clear. 
Our commitment is unwavering, and our resolve could not be stronger. Pence insisted that the U.S. is now finished with the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. It'll instead seek a bilateral deal with Japan, which it hopes will give U.S. companies better access to its market. Japan, though, is unwilling to give up on the TPP, and it's working with other member nations to move ahead without the U.S. Anthony Kuhn, NPR News, Tokyo. From Washington, this is NPR News. There's a special congressional election today in Georgia. Eighteen candidates are seeking the seat once held by Republican Tom Price. He resigned to become Secretary of Health and Human Services. Johnny Kaufman with member station WABE has more from Atlanta. This has been a Republican district for a generation. If Democrats can win, they say it will send a message to President Trump and the Republican Congress. The leading Democrat has raised a record-breaking $8 million. Democrats have traveled here from around the country to get out the vote. There are 11 Republicans running, and national GOP groups have spent at least $4 million in an effort to hold on to the seat. That's WABE's Johnny Kaufman reporting. In a surprise move, British Prime Minister Theresa May is calling for snap elections in June. NPR's Frank Langford reports May's trying to consolidate power as her country heads into contentious negotiations to leave the European Union. As May has tried to push her plan for Brexit, she's faced sharp attacks from rival political parties, which have threatened to sabotage her efforts. Analysts say she sees a snap election as a way to vastly increase her Conservative Party's thin majority in the House of Commons and give her a stronger hand in Brexit negotiations. May came to power not through a national election, but the resignation last summer of former Prime Minister David Cameron. Polls over the weekend suggested that May's Conservative Party would clobber the opposition Labour Party, which is in complete disarray. May hopes that would give her a popular electoral mandate to drive ahead and make a sharp break with the European Union. Frank Langfitt, NPR News. U.S. stocks trading lower. The Dow off 150 points at 20,487. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from Blue Vine, offering businesses revolving lines of credit to help them grow and expand. Credit lines up to $100,000. Small business credit help is available at bluevine.com and Americans for the Arts at americansforthearts.org. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are here today to continue our shows about autism spectrum disorder. This is Autism Awareness Month, and I know we've said a lot this month about autism spectrum disorder just on this show, but today we're going to focus about the area of what's called now high-functioning autism. Used to be Asperger's syndrome or high-functioning autism. There were lots of confusion about that. So now everything's um, under that same umbrella. And in most of the time, some of the behavioral and mental health issues um, are the biggest problematic issues that 
individuals with this high-functioning autism or autism spectrum disorder tend to have. And sometimes, like I said at the billboard, the, those quirky behaviors sometimes can get children into a lot of trouble. Um, sometimes those obsessive behaviors, sometimes those anxious behaviors or sometimes sensory integration issues that many of you may already know some individuals who struggle with that. So would would love to hear any type of issues that you have about these sometimes very bright and talented individuals who have significant difficulties with some of those things I mentioned. Today, we have um, two experts in the area. I have John Damon, who is CEO of Canopy, and he's going to tell us a little bit about his services. Welcome, John. Thank you. Great to be here. And we also have Dr. David Elkin, who is Executive Director for the Center for the Advancement of Youth Youth at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and he'll talk to us about his services, too. Thanks for having me. So, um, John, tell us a little bit about you, your services at Canopy. I know um, Canopy is formerly uh, was formerly known as Mississippi Children's Home Services, but because there's been a change and expansion, um, there was a change in the name, right? That's correct. We we wanted to drive clarity. Uh, the name Mississippi Children's Home Services sounded like we were possibly a state organization or. A home for children, and we are right. uh, the opposite. Um, so, yeah, we, we made that name change um, at the end of last year and uh, wanted to drive clarity for our kids and families that we have a whole array of services under under this canopy. Right, and, and so Canopy does not just serve children with autism spectrum disorder, but we'll focus on that today. Um, talk to us a little bit about the services you have um, for children with autism spectrum. So we have, um, you could think in, in two broad categories. Um, one category is an early intervention uh, program for children 18 months to 8 years of age that we um, operate in partnership with Broadmoor Baptist Church in Madison. Um and then the second category that you could think is children who have been in the public schools and unable to successfully function um, and be educated in that local pu- public school. And that public school has referred them to one of our schools. And we have schools in Gulfport, Hattiesburg, and Jackson. Right. And and that's what we'd like to talk about today as we move along uh, um, the the older child who maybe is having some socialization or behavioral issues. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us your time. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Elkin, tell us a little bit about the case center. Now, certainly that's where I've been for all these years as um, medical director, but I'll let you talk about um, what's going on there. So the Case Center at UMC is an attempt to pull together all developmental, behavioral, emotional care for kids at the university um, in terms of from pediatrics to psychiatry. We have people who are uh, developmental behavioral pediatricians, psychologists, social workers. And like you said, and just like Dr. Damon, uh, we try to cover a wide variety of services, uh, including kids, um, diagnosing kids and caring for kids on the autism spectrum disorder. Right. So a lot of um, evaluation, um, initial, many times children with suspected autism uh, spectrum disorder 
enter the triage area there where um, history's taken and decisions, sort of a decision tree happens, right? Um, Correct. Where to go and what to do. And then um, either further evaluation or therapy at at UMMC, uh, at K, or other places. Such as Canopy. Right. Um, They're they're a great partner. We love working with John and his group. And it's really great for the state of Mississippi. Thank you. So, um, listeners, we can really talk about any aspect of autism spectrum disorder today. I want you to feel free to call in with any questions. I know this is, um, what, the third show that we've had on autism this month and really felt like we needed an emphasis because so many individuals are affected by this. Now the numbers say 1 in 68, and so... Everyone out there who is listening knows someone uh, who has that diagnosis, whether you know it or not, or who meets the criteria for that uh, diagnosis. So uh, one thing that I, I wanted to talk about as we move through this, one thing that gets individuals in trouble Um, who have high-functioning autism is the lack of the ability to read social cues, right? Um, And many times in therapy and and both at Canopy and at K, um, we find that's one area that is really, really needed. So let me just quickly explain a little bit about what that means. So not reading social cues. So you may have all the language in the world. It seems that you're able to communicate verbally without any trouble. You tend to understand direction. But what happens often in the high-functioning autism is the social cues are missed. That's body language, facial expressions, voice inflection. So voice inflection, as you know, can completely change the meaning of of even a single word. So let me give you a little bit of example as we're moving along. So if I said, John, that would be John. Is everything okay? Or John, what's going on? Right? Right. But if I said, John, that would mean, golly, John, you are not doing, you're doing something. Yeah. I'll respond. (laughs) You're doing something that you should not be doing, right? right. So um, that inflection can really um, mean, you know what, you just heard one word, two completely different Mm -hmm. meanings. Or like, um, here's another one. Oh, oh, wow, David. Or, oh, wow, David. You know, so I've said... <laughs> Again, I just sort of jumped. <laughs> so um, that is something that many individuals, unless they are taught, um, don't, don't get the differences in something like that. Mm. And so as as we're moving <clears throat> through and as we're we're taking histories about the sort of the nuances of communication in a higher functioning individual many times that's the kind of thing we're mm. we're looking for. So um I know um David Dr. Elkin 
David. David. Um, you you um, often say something. You have a, a, a phrase that you use when you're telling parents, trying to explain to parents how what happens, what's the difference with ASD and that socialization. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's not unique to me. I think uh, other people use it as well. But we'll, we'll tell parents that um, these things, these skills in these kids um, – Things that are caught have to be taught so that, you know, how did you learn or how did John and I learn that when someone says mm-hmm. John or John, right. that, that means different things. We learned on the playground, but if you don't learn that around the house, or the playground, if you don't catch that, then you can teach that. And that's what we do. That's what Canopy does. That's what we do as well is they, they teach those social skills. They, in, in a sense, help these kids recognize that because right. it, it's almost like you're writing code for a computer that sounds bad as a human being but it's it's exactly true and and many times um, we find that if you if you start with these individuals and have the proper socialization classes you can you can teach what we typically already know i know that um as we move through, maybe this is a good time to kind of reset and take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Damon, um, I'd like for you to maybe talk a little bit about what happens when we find children who, from a social standpoint, are just not able to make it in a regular um, classroom setting. Uh, we are talking again about autism spectrum disorder. This time, the high functioning, we're going to talk about the anxiety, the depression, the obsessive behavior. Right now we're talking about socialization issues that children have and adults too. Keep in mind there are plenty of adults out there with this. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. Join in the conversation about what your experiences are. This is relatively speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress and we'll be right back. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo for Southern Remedy. Each Wednesday, we answer your calls on health issues of interest to you. They range from medical questions on kids, young adults, baby boomers, and seniors. Whatever you need to know. Join me for Southern Remedy tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here today with Dr. John Damon from Canopy and Dr. David Elkin 
from the Center for the Advancement of Youth, K, at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're talking about high-functioning autism, um, talking right now about socialization issues, and we'll move into sensory integration, depression, obsessive-compulsive issues. And some of you out there may know individuals, or even yourself, who have some problems that we're talking about, and um, you may have questions questions about it, please call in with your questions, your stories, maybe um, your fixes for some of the issues we talk about. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 So, um, Dr. Damon, you, you had a, an astute <laughs> observation uh, during our break. Why don't you talk a little bit about well, it? Well, during the break... Um, we were as we finished up talking about social cues and and how we um and Dr. Elkin gave a great frame most of us um you know we we catch those you know learning is is caught and when folks can't catch them you, you can teach them they can be taught and and how interesting it was just as we're sitting here on a radio show I'm doing it right now. I'm talking with my hands. Mm-hmm. Dr. Butcher's talking with her hands. We're we're nodding as the other one's talking. We're smiling. We're making eye contact. We're, those are things that we call. Um, for many of these children uh, on the spectrum, they haven't learned those social skills. And it causes real problems in their peer relationships and being able to make friends at school because they don't make eye contact. They don't know how to approach their friend and say, right. hi, I'm John, uh, or they do it very awkwardly or they get in their personal space or um, they, they, they don't make the kind of normal comments when somebody says, hey, how's it going? They don't say, I'm good. How are you? They kind of look at you uh, without a response or, or maybe something or socially say, awkward. Well, how do you think it's going? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, right. yeah. Right. So and and don't think that they're being rude, mm-hmm. but other other children do. And certainly as you move into the teen years, it gets worse and worse because, as we've talked about before, um, during the teen years, peers are the most important. That's you're right. supposed to be like your peer. You're supposed to move and talk like your peer and sameness is very important and even though and uh, I think we can all remember this even though you always said you were such the individual Mm. if you walked into a room and everybody else I'm talking from a woman perspective if you went in um, sort of dressed down for something and everybody else was all dressed up in fancy man you would go stand in the mm-hmm. corner because you felt like you didn't fit just because of what you had on. So um, that sameness is important, except um, in um, individuals with autism spectrum disorder, and they just don't many times notice some of those issues. Now, in the higher functioning, as they learn more socialization, normality, then they become much more aware of it. And I've seen many individuals out there, and and certainly parents, feel free to call with your stories on this. I've seen many who, um, once they've gone through appropriate therapies, you can hardly discern a difference. And um, but, but it is taught and not something that's just caught. So um, maybe before we hear um, more about your um, schools, 
Let's talk about uh, a few more of the issues that uh, children get into. Um, so anxiety is a serious issue that many times uh, individuals with ASD have. In fact, some studies have shown that upwards of 80% of individuals with ASD will have some amount of anxiety. And under the umbrella of anxiety, there is the obsessive compulsive disorder. And I think all three of us have seen um, significant anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder that then can move into what seems a aggressiveness because of the fact that many times these individuals don't know how to manage their anxiety. And then on top of that, and this is the area that people I think understand the least, um, sensory integration dysfunction. So those individuals with sensory integration dysfunction um, often have, they're either overly sensitive or underly sensitive, underly Mm-hmm. Undersensitive mm-hmm. to sensations. It may be light, it may be sound, it may be tactile sense, touch. Um, and so that incredible overreaction can get them um, into trouble um, around others if somebody gets touches them, or if they go up and run into somebody because they like that, that um, pressure sensation. So, um, Dr. Elkin, do you have um, any particular uh, cases or times that you can give us an example of uh, individuals who got into real trouble with that? So I think that a lot of the, the descriptions that you've given are good in the sense that families who have kids who have high-functioning autism spectrum disorder, like you said, we used to call it Asperger's, a lot of the families that we see say the anxiety is the main thing they want help with with the kid. They can handle some of the quirky mm-hmm. behaviors, mm-hmm. but they really want help mm-hmm. with the anxiety because that affects the social skills these kids can get into or the social skills these kids have. You know, you don't know how to hang out with other people if you don't know how to respond to them and you tend to pull back. So it's not that they are naturally antisocial. They're shy or they're anxious. They don't know that their response is going to be good, and they've been burned, in a sense, on certain responses. And so they tend to not engage with people. Um, The flip side is the repetitious behavior. Um, I know somebody um, who basically gives the same greeting every day to his coworkers, you know, and it's the same thing because he got taught you say this. And so he's stretching himself with his anxiety, but it works. Right. So I think that that's what, what we're getting at here when we're all three talking about this is trying to help um, these individuals overcome that fear of social interaction. John, I'm sure you have some similar yeah, many, issues. I, I think of many um, kids who were very um, anxious in social situations because they lacked those basic social skills to engage. Um, And many times because they did have the kind of obsessive behaviors that you're talking about. I I can remember some that um, were very focused on a particular movie. And so all they could talk about with their friends was that movie. All they wanted to draw at school were scenes from that movie. All the quotes they wanted to share were from that movie. And the kids will grow 
you know, intolerant of that and begin to say, why do you always talk about that movie? All, every time you come around, you talk about, and, and, and they don't, they didn't realize that they are constantly obsessing on this movie and unless they talk about it and get out this story and this scene. You remember the, you remember the time when, and their speech is kind of fast and they have to tell the story, then they kind of relax again after they've been able to walk through it. But a lot of their peer group um, just simply doesn't have the, the patience or understanding. Once they do, our experience has been these, this generation is pretty phenomenal at rallying around these kids once they have a frame to hang it in and understand, oh, this kid has some form of, of autism, and then they kind of rally around, and they're, they're very patient. But until they do, as Dr. Elkin said, the punishment that happens socially is a very real phenomenon for these kids that, that drives the anxiety. Right, and, and many times these individuals are, are bullied, like you said, the punishment. So not not just at school but at home um and at other places also many times um the with electronic media facebook and and twitter and text and many times these individuals um do suffer from issues um, due to some of their quirky, um, difficult sometimes to tolerate behavior. And, and like you were just mm-hmm. saying, um, often they'll, they'll have this topic that they just have to get out. And if you say, well, well let's, let's, let's not talk, talk about Pokemon right now. Let's talk about That's blah. True. And they'll go, but, but, but let me tell you. That's and right. they still have to push through. So that is one of those things that can, can um, get them into great trouble. Well, and you mentioned the, the sounds and the integration, sensory integration earlier. Um, I remember one child we worked with whose kind of obsessions were around trains. And whenever they heard a train, it didn't matter what was happening, they stopped and would run that direction. They had to be around that train. If they saw a train or a picture of a train, they could be doing fantastic. And as soon as they heard a whistle mm-hmm. of a train, the whole world stopped and that that they had to run to that. They, um, we've had some that are just highly sensitive to those sounds that just drove them crazy, mm-hmm. and they had to get away. If they heard paper wrinkle or they heard a water bottle mm-hmm. crinkle, that, that was their thing. They had to get away. But With a lot of ear covering mm-hmm. and hands over the ears or um, hands over the face or or running running away or screaming or, or yelling about someone else and, and what they've done. So... Let's go on to our first caller. We have uh, Sue in Beaumont. Sue, you have some some questions about other countries? Um, I was just curious, as, as, what is the prevalence of autism and autism spectrum disorders uh, in other countries as compared to the United States? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, there, there's there been a lot of look at that, and it seems that autism prevalence has grown in other countries, too, maybe because of the recognition. But there is not a huge difference in, in prevalence uh, across the the world as far as we know there's no racial difference uh that we know of um culturally um 
there does seem to be a bit of a difference. What um, to to be uh, very reserved and flat in some countries is is a little more accepted than it is in in um, southern some some other countries. So in Europe, in the United States, in the Americas, um, people tend to talk a lot with their hands use a lot of facial expressions um but in the the eastern world in some areas it's a little bit different so diagnosis maybe is not quite as quick um although there it does seem to be that it's seen across across the world so can i ask you one more question sure we're gonna make a comment i mean uh, y'all recently had someone on mpb and i don't remember had, had a a show about autism, a program about autism, uh, and I wanted to ask: uh, it, when a child all of a sudden, when their personality totally changes, like almost overnight, uh, could it be caused from a virus or a bacteria or a prion or or anything that could be with an echo and could EEG electroencephalogram demonstrate any any change in that child's brain, or could it be caused by anything like that? Oh, um, so great question. And, and I'll just say that um, if you have a sudden change in personality, it is something else other than autism spectrum. So autism spectrum uh, disorder is something that you typically have very early on, um, have some signs and symptoms, maybe uh, difficulty with eye contact, maybe um, uh, an infant who who is difficult to soothe and doesn't like to be cuddled and early speech language delay. So if you have uh, a child who's developed normally and at three or four or five, all of a sudden seems to lose speech or lose socialization, then I would be very concerned about. Um, it could be... Um, a virus, but typically an individual sick with that. Um, so you would be worried about sort of some sort of seizure variant. Um, there is a seizure disorder called Landau-Kleffner that that interferes with the speech center. So um, it could be something like that. Um, uh, could get concerned about some sort of metabolic issue or certainly some drug issue. So there certainly you'd want a, a good medical evaluation to make sure that there's not something significant going on there. Um, so I, I don't know. Y'all were right. Y'all were exchanging some glances, the two psychologists here in the room with me about um, other other issues. We were in thorough agreement. We yeah. Were. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a general rule with with children, like you said, if you have some abrupt change, right. you need to get uh, a a comprehensive medical evaluation right. quick. Something's something's wrong. And and even sometimes it can be a significant trauma that causes sort of a shutdown. So that doesn't need to be ruled out. It could be something psychosocial, but you want to rule out medical and then move to psychosocial. And gosh, autism would be sort of at the end of the list that would that would not even be in my what i would call differential diagnosis 
So thanks for your call, Sue. Good questions. Thank We'd you. love to hear from more of you. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you have some comments or thoughts about um, what's going on or just general questions about autism spectrum. So let's let's talk a little bit more about the um, the anxiety issues that go along. I said we have sensory integration that occurs in many. Anxiety is the same. It seems that somewhere between, and again, the data, if you look at meta-analysis and the research, uh, somewhere between 30% and 80% of individuals with autism spectrum disorder have anxiety or OCD. And by OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, maybe, or maybe just the behaviors. So that need for sameness is something that can really get in the way. Um, And I've seen this in very high-functioning individuals who can just completely for lack of a better word, freak out over um, changes that somebody made. Um, For example, if uh, a child, I think everybody has heard um, a little bit about the show Big Bang Theory and Sheldon, Mm -hmm. you know. Yes, he seems to be one of those Mm -hmm. high-functioning individuals with autism spectrum. And he has to sit in the same place. He has his place, and he has to have things exactly the way he thinks they are. And if they're not, he just has a fit. And although that seems very comedic, it can be very problematic if we're talking about a classroom setting or even a home setting. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about how you um, tend to work on that and deal with that when you have an individual. Um, David, talk to us a little bit about the therapies. I'll talk briefly, then I want to sort of turn it over to John because he's got schools. That's a great sort of... um, And this is where CARES comes in, and I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, that's a great way to sort of talk about this. But I think that as much as possible, if we can therapeutically set it up to where there is routine and structure, that's good. But we're talking about higher-functioning individuals here, folks with higher-functioning autism spectrum disorder. A lot of these folks... If you work with them over time, become more comfortable with some change in routine in a small band. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's very, very difficult to get them to step out of their comfort zone because it does offer a semblance of control, of, of predictability. And what we do very well <clears throat> as humans is we like predictability. We like to know that what's coming down the road. Most of us can deal with change, but sometimes folks with autism spectrum disorder don't do very well with unpredictability which then leads them to want to have sameness and routine. Um, it gives them comfort. Right. So that that difficulty can, can be extreme. And therapeutically, many times um, the behavioral therapy and interventions can make a huge difference, and we don't have to go to medicine. Sometimes we do, and we can talk about that as we move along. But why don't you, Dr. Damon, John, talk to us a little bit about what y'all do in the schools? Well, um, m- most kids 
um, enter into school. They're making friends. Their challenges are academic. They're 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 plotting their way through 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 courses, and they're not, um, you know, hung up with this anxiety that we've been talking about about how do I engage socially? How do I? And for these kids with in on the autism spectrum, uh, when they get to school, those kind of need for routine, the repetitive pieces, the behaviors, the 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 movements that they do sometimes that are, they do an over and over that, that cause real problems or disruptions in the classroom, sensitivity to noise that disrupts their ability to stay in the classroom and be successful in the classroom. And so for the, the process that, that you, that should happen for these children when they begin to struggle, um, they have in schools, uh, teacher support teams and a process within that where you start with a tier one where, Everybody in the group gets an intervention, and then Tier 2, everybody in a specialized group gets an intervention, and Tier 3, where just that individual is getting some one-on-one help. And if that doesn't work, then they are referred for testing. And um, those children would be tested for uh, a possibility of having a special education ruling, and with that comes an individualized education plan that would be tailored to that unique child's needs and they would develop a, a um, an individual plan for that kid in the public school. Most cases, that, that can be successful. They get enough support services and help at the school. But in, in some cases, the school realizes that this is not the least restrictive environment for this child, and so we need to send them somewhere else for a season, not not for forever, but right, for a not season. not for a forever placement, but just to try to get them to a point that, that they can be successful to come back to the public in a regular, school, which yeah. is which is our goal. So we we have these schools in, in Hattiesburg and Gulfport and Jackson. Uh, for some children, that might be a semester. For some children, it might be a year or a year and a half. But our goal is to quickly create successes in that classroom through their individualized plan. Sometimes that's one on one, one on two, whatever that that child needs to be successful um, academically as well as socially and behaviorally getting the therapies that they need, decreasing the anxiety that you mentioned, because a lot of that, they've had such failure in class. um, And anxiety is just, it's your sympathetic system going crazy, thinking you you need to move in fight or flight. And so when you get that nervous, you want to structure your world so you have some control. Well, they've had so many failures in classrooms and in social situations that they want to structure and order that. We want to give them successes, um, you know, day after day, moment after moment. And it's a slow process. But it works. I mean, that's the beautiful part of this for families that, that get this diagnosis and their world is turned upside down. Um, and in, in our world, David and I, in, in working with anxiety and depression and, and things like that, the, the struggle is a, it's kind of a looping upward process for people over time. With autism, it's really that line goes up and to the right in terms of improvement when they get the right therapies. It's amazing the differences. And I know I've followed some children, been in practice forever, so I've followed some children from a very, very young age um, through high school and into college. And with proper therapies, it's just amazing. the incredibly wonderful outcomes that we've had. And it's been very heartening to know that we have the services. Now, um, trying to coordinate and making sure that we have enough services for everybody has been difficult for Mm -hmm. our state. I think the three of us have worked very hard trying to Mm -hmm. make sure that we build those services. Are we there yet 100%? Not yet. Mm -hmm. But um, hopefully we're getting there. 
Um, why don't we take a, a break uh, again, and then when we come back, I want to talk more about the depression that some of these um, higher functioning individuals feel when they when they begin to realize that that life's different for them um we want to hear from you um listeners we've got plenty of time for calls give us a call with your thoughts or questions on autism spectrum and high functioning um at one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. you can send an email to family at mpbonline.org We'll be right back. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. make a difference in your community by simply donating a vehicle. It's a quick and easy way to take care of that unwanted vehicle that is just sitting around. Best of all, we'll handle the entire process from picking up the vehicle to sending you the tax paperwork. Just call 877-MPB-4CAR or go online to mpbonline.org slash support. Make the difference and donate your vehicle today. can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about um, sort of autism part three. We are talking about high-functioning autism, used to be called Asperger's syndrome, and some of the difficulties that one can get into with their difficulties in socialization, anxiety, depression, or sensory integration. And we're We'll continue to talk about that. I said right before the break that we wanted to talk a little more about depression, but let's go back to the phones. We have Todd, who's on the road, driving very carefully, hopefully with a hands-free phone. Correct, Todd? Indeed, that is correct. (laughs) Okay, good, Todd. You have some questions about recognizing autism? Right. As a parent, uh, and, and we have several children but my youngest child has has difficulty in certain social situations but it it, it he's very high functioning i mean he he appears as though he's a normal child but are there any in certain situations he shuts down and he, he um uh, he exhibits odd behavior he, he 
gets away from a situation as opposed to confronting a situation. And and so it's difficult in listening to your show, distinguishing as a parent, at what point are there any verbal or physical cues that you should look for in order to prompt uh, professional diagnosis? Sure. Um, I'll start, and then I'll let you guys add to Todd. Um, you know, that is a question that comes up all the time. Is it just quirky behavior? Is it anxiety? Is it shyness? Or is it is it something like autism spectrum disorder? So keep in mind that um, there are plenty of individuals out there who are shy. Um, there is a broad range of personalities. We have some people who are more introverts, some who are more extroverts. And um, there are some people who are much uh, e- easier in a social situation than others. So you can have shyness. You can have someone with anxiety that interferes with socialization because they because they become too anxious in an open setting. Um, you can have an individual who struggles with language. Now, um, to meet the criteria for autism spectrum disorder, keep in mind we talked about that that communication difficulty with. Um, uh, nonverbal communication. So it's not just speech delay, it's that nonverbal communication problem, like um, reading facial cues, knowing voice inflection, um, understanding je- gestures, having their own facial expressions. So my question to you, Todd, is um, does your in at home? When he's in a comfortable setting with others that that he's used to, um, can he do all that? Uh, he, he's. Uh, it's hard to determine. Uh-huh. It, it's one of those situations where we've never had a situation where, for instance, the school is approached to say he's got a behavioral issue. Um, but when when he's home and he's in a comfortable surrounding, when faced with a normal uh, situation, he has a tendency to lash out mm-hmm. or to react in a, in a way that just is, is I don't want to say abnormal, but it's just not a, a normal reaction we would get out of any of the other children in the home. Uh, and do uh, you understand? Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm explaining it correctly. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Anger when anger is an inappropriate behavior. Hmm. And um, well, Todd, a, a couple of questions. First, how, how old is your child? He's eight years old. Eight years old. And and how long have you kind of, you know, had your senses up that something's a little off since how well, old? It's manifested itself, I, I would say, dramatically within the last few years. In the last few years. Yeah. So you kind of, um, you've noticed some issues at uh, getting maybe worse as he's getting older or about the same? It, it seems to be getting worse as time goes on. I think that what Dr. Damon is getting at um, here, uh, Todd, is um, a good history um, is, would, would involve, you know, did he have any milestones he fell behind in terms of speech or motor movement, that kind of stuff? And, you know, the, the question you're asking is a very good one. Is this just anxiety that's setting in now as he gets older and he's able to worry about things? 
or um, is this something that's been there all along? Um, and it's a great question. You, you ask the question of what's the diagnosis? Man, I wish we could draw a little vial of blood mm-hmm. <laughs> from somebody and say, there it is. Too, boy, maybe but, one day. Yeah, but um, it's yet. a great question. Has yeah. it reached the level, Todd, where it's, it's causing him problems with his his either in school or friends, peers, family? Is it is it kind of reached that level? He, he's never been overly... Uh, he doesn't put himself out there. But he's very inwardly uh, motivated. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always been that way, but he's he's never been uh, combative. So so something that would would uh, under normal circumstances uh, a situation that's that most children would just overlook. He focuses in on that, and and it and, and he it shuts him down. I, yeah, you can't. There's no communicating with him at that point. You, you just have to let it pass. And then when we approach him later, I, I think he feels a certain amount of regret for the <laughs> for how he feels. But it, it it appears as though he has absolutely no control over over his reaction. It sounds like you're at a point where it might be good to seek some professional help just to have someone look at him, evaluate him, determine whether or not there is uh, a real issue ongoing. Could it be autism spectrum? Could it be high functioning? Uh, it could, honestly. Could it be um, a generalized anxiety or a pragmatic um, uh, Social a pragmatic. Social pa- thank you. Social pragmatic um, communication disorder? Or could it be um, just his, um, it could even be depression, because sometimes, you know, um, mad is sad in young kids, um, and so sometimes children who seem irritable all the time are are really sad and maybe have a, a a low level of serotonin, that that neurochemical that's needed to make you happy. So um, I think, Todd, just listening to you, it sounds like this has been a struggle and it's sort of increasing in significance. And um, like Dr. Damon said, if it is affecting your child every day, if it is affecting your child's life at home and at school and socially outside of school, then um, uh, you probably need to go ahead and figure out what it is, and you don't need to do that alone. There's plenty of help out there. I'm not sure where you live, but certainly we have the K Center at university. We have Canopy. Um, there are resources. You could go to the primary care provider that your child has and let them know their problems and ask them for help is what I would do first. And, and the great news, Todd, too, is is he's – He's already ahead of the game. He's got parents who are engaged and spotting it and care, and you're sensitive to the fact that it's different now. And those are good cues for you to say, hey, it's time to, to take the next step and, and get help. And, and the really good news is his treatment works. So uh, they can help define what is exactly the problem and tailor that treatment. Uh, but I think I think Dr. Butchers is spot on to go ahead and get him, get him into some help. And um, we don't need to have kind of a a stigma around going to get your child help. We wouldn't do it if, if something physically was wrong. We shouldn't do it if something behaviorally is wrong. We should go get help. Yeah, as we've said before, um, your brain is 
probably the most important um, organ that you have, and you need to continue. I, some people may disagree with me. Mm-hmm. You know, the cardiologists say it's the heart, and the, <laughs> the kidney doctors say it's the kidney. But um, the brain is the same. If you if you have a liver malfunction, then then it's a it's a medical illness, and people just need to remember that that um, we need to view any kind of issue as a medical illness. Um, the brain is no different, and there should not be a stigma. So, awesome. Todd. Thank you very much. You are so welcome. Thank you for your call, and be, call and be safe. Good luck. Um, and certainly, if you have any other issues that come up, um, Todd and other listeners, feel free to send um, an email to family at mpbonline.org. It doesn't have to be during the show. You can send it, and we'll try to answer it for you. We still have a minute or so for callers. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464, or you can send that email to family at mpbonline.org. So for the last couple of minutes, let's talk a little bit. Something that I think surprises individuals is that people with autism spectrum disorder can indeed have depression. Um, They many times realize that they are different. Mm. Um, They want to have relationships, but they don't exactly know how. They want to have that girlfriend or boyfriend or a significant other, and they don't know how, and often they have to be taught. So um, interesting um, that we need to be hyper-aware of this because many times, because of the way individuals with ASD expect express their emotions, sometimes we miss symptoms, and it's hard to drill down as to what's going on. But the suicide rate in depressed individuals with ASD is higher than the general population. I think we tend to think of these folks uh, incorrectly as emotionless automatons, Mm. and they're not. Uh, They're human beings. They have feelings. They have emotions as well. And and I know that Dr. Damon would agree we need to be very careful about how we, we tend to them and, like you said, check on those kind of things. Right. Yeah, and one of the – and you, you alluded to it a little earlier. Um, w- one thing that's different about depression with kids than, say, depression with adults. Adults, we might tend to withdraw or move away, not want to be around. Well, that's kind of already established for somebody with autism. But with, with children, depression often presents itself – you know, in irritability, right? And you, you mentioned that earlier. And, and so, if a, if a child on the autism spectrum is someone who who's already agitated a lot verbally and behaviorally, that could kind of mask the fact that the irritability may be driven by the depression and very right. real changes in the brain and serotonin levels and all of that that could be helped and those behaviors, um, you know, addressed. Right. Um, a caller left a message, didn't want to get on air, um, with a question, could sexual abuse also be a cause for a detachment? And the answer is absolutely yes. If you have in any kind of trauma, so 
to keep in mind if if there is something going on with an irritable child or a withdrawn child um, like Dr. Damon said um, to to really know that you should look a little further and be aware of what else might be causing all these issues so we're about done. I want to thank Dr. Elkin and Dr. Damon both for thank their you. time. As usual, you great. were great. And thank you for your services out there that you are um, giving all these great children and, um, and adults. So thanks, listeners. Thanks for your call. Happy to have you with us. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I believe our call screener was Sharita Brent. Yes. Um, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking. Please stay tuned um, next for NPR's Here and Now on NPB Think Radio. See you next week.